The following is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action on anything being discussed, consult your medical doctor. Welcome to Heart Health Radio with board-certified cardiologist and internal medicine specialist, Dr. Franklin Weefall. Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio. Oh, oh, oh. HeartHealthRadio.com. Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action, talk to your doctor. Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation just by listening to the radio program Heart Health Radio Saturdays at noon, which curiously is more or less about now. About now. Yeah, and we are on the radio for the next hour to to help you out with the latest in health news and also call us up with questions. I won't be able to help you, but Dr. Franklin Weefald is here. Luckily, he will be able to. Uh, 919-860-9783. And in this first segment, we've got Dr. Carmelo Milano, a Duke heart surgeon. Welcome. Glad to have you on the program, Dr. Milano. I'm, I'm uh, pleased that you were able to join us this Thank Saturday. You. You're welcome. Now, do you know professionally, Dr. Weefold? I mean, do you cross paths? Uh, very much so. We've worked together. Uh, How many years is it now? 20? 10, 20 years. Yeah, what year did you start at Duke? Uh, came on the staff in 1999. Yeah. I've been there, you know, about uh, 20 years. You want to update on one of your cases from 1999? Absolutely. Well, I, I, he won't remember this because, well, he might. A guy, and I've had permission to use his name, Edward Smith. And I was taking care of him at a local hospital here. Massive right coronary heart attack. So that means the back wall of the heart had no blood flow. Yeah. And it turned into jelly which is an aneurysm. So the whole back wall of the heart was about to burst, and I couldn't get anybody to operate on him. He needed bypass surgery. So we sent him to Duke to a good friend of mine, Kevin Harrison, who is the cardiologist. I was an intern and resident with him at Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And he got Dr. Milano involved, and you replace the whole back wall with a piece of Dacron, uh, which is, you know, the Dacron, Gore-Tex graft that, you know, our, our, like our a piece of shirt. Yeah. yeah, material. And bypassed him. And guess what, Carmelo? I just saw him uh, Thursday, and he's doing great. Wonderful. He's gardening. Uh, he's had one episode with an, an MI, a non, uh, just a non-bad MI. We call it a non-STEMI. That means it didn't kill a lot of the heart. Got stented. Um, he had one episode of heart failure, which turned out to be from anemia because uh, he had a GI bleed. But think back to that time. I mean, would you have thought he'd had 21 good years and 10 more years to go? Well, patients that have complications from a heart attack like, uh, you know, rupture of the heart muscle, that uh, has a very high mortality. So, uh, no. It's incredible, isn't we it? We wouldn't have anticipated that he would have done so well. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's probably listening well, today. We have to take on those tough yeah. cases. He listens, and, uh, you know, it's just fantastic. Well, let's get into this. Uh, Carmelo, what do, you, what do you do day-to-day? What kind of surgeries? You have a sort of a specialty in these kind of cases, don't you? A lot of my uh, surgery practice uh, involves patients who have weak hearts or advanced heart failure. Um, I've performed heart transplants at Duke now for 20 years. We also do uh, mechanical pumps to replace the left heart. And then other types of surgery like bypass surgery or 
aneurysm repair like the case you just mentioned for patients that have weak hearts. So that's a, a large part of what I do. And it's pretty amazing stuff because, you know, I know here and, and where I practice and other places, the surgeons really shy away now from doing high-risk surgery. And it, it's it's don't the people with weak hearts who need bypass surgery actually get the most benefit? I think that's correct. Some of the patients who have the worst heart function are at the highest risk for death if they don't have a surgical intervention. So the relative benefits may be greatest for patients who have the highest risks, which is, you know, it's a sort of a paradox. And so they may have a higher uh, chance of not doing well with the surgery, but if they survive it and go on to, um, uh, you know, live and do well with their uh, heart dysfunction, they have a uh, the greatest benefit in terms of the future um, chance of being alive than even, say, somebody who has a bypass surgery with a normal heart. That reduction in risk of death is greater for somebody with a bad heart. Um, I saw another patient of yours, a guy named Rusty Gilbert, and you put a left ventricular assist device into him four years ago, and he is still repairing cars. Isn't that amazing? It's wonderful. Yeah. It's always neat to hear patient, patients return to employment. A lot of patients with advanced heart failure really don't get the chance to go back to work, so that's that's neat. Yeah. So tell us what a, a left ventricular assist device is. I, You know, it was a developed, it's a, a propeller, we've really talked about it, that takes heart blood out of the tip of the heart and sends it back up to the aorta. And it's like a constant, you know, uh, pump. But in my mind now, the patients I've had, I've only had one go on to, to transplant surgery, but I've had, I think I've got six now where it's a permanent thing. So would you think this is like an artificial heart? Well, it's not completely an artificial heart. We still have patients who are limited because of the right side of their heart. Uh, These LVAD pumps only replace the left part or the left ventricle, but about 90% of the heart function is the left heart. So the majority of patients who have really disabling failure of their heart and failure of their circulation can actually do quite well with um, an LVAD. Um, and this this has become, uh, this therapy is developed in part because heart transplantation, it's been difficult to treat all the heart failure patients with heart transplantation. So heart transplantation is somewhat limited uh, generally, younger patients, patients who don't have other medical problems, are are um, offered heart transplant. But there's a lot of other patients who we can help with the uh, LVADs. So um, this has been a therapy that has developed significantly over the last 10 years. The pumps have gotten better too, safer, less side effects or adverse events. So this has been an area of um, you know growth where we've been able to help some patients who were ineligible for heart transplant. And this is Duke Heart Surgeon Dr. Carmelo Milano on Heart Health Radio. Uh, this is Dave Alexander. I'm actually a cardiac patient, though not Dr. Weefault's patient. And I've got stents in, and I, I worry about my next step because I have not had an open, you know, a, a sort of a bypass. And I, I really dread 
the day they say, well, we're going to have to open you up. Are we getting to the point where I don't need to have a uh, uh, the sternum cut open? That's a good question. Um, most uh, coronary artery bypass surgery is still performed um, through a sternal splitting incision. Yes. However, uh, there we are trying to develop techniques where the most important bypass, which is uh, to the front of the heart, to the, to the left anterior descending coronary artery, right. that bypass can be done through smaller incisions. That's called a mid-cab. And Duke has a couple of surgeons who are specialized, really, in uh, doing those procedures. And there's actually hybrid procedures where the surgeon will do... Um, the front bypass, the, the Lima to LED bypass, and then that may be combined with uh, stents to the other two less important, uh, you know, coronary distributions. So there is some progress in this area, and there are centers that are focused on this mid-cap procedure. Well, I, you know, one more question about donors. Um, are you seeing or are you using donors from hep C-positive patients now like, I read about this guy in New York who was actually head of cardiac surgery and could not find a donor. And somebody says, well, we got a donor, but he's hep C positive. Hepatitis C is a virus, and they have a treatment for it now. So he got a, bi- he got a transplant and then took the medicine to cure his hepatitis C. Have you seen that at Duke? Is that a thing that you all are looking at? Uh, yes. We, we have transplanted uh, utilizing hearts from donors who are who have the hepatitis C virus and in those instances uh, it is true that we in fact transplant the hepatitis C infection but we now have effective antiviral treatments for hepatitis C so those patients then get treated for hepatitis C and we've been able to clear the the viral infection so this has been an important source of additional donors um Previously, uh, you know, five, ten years ago, uh, when we didn't have effective antivirals, those we would not use those hearts. So this has been a this is a big deal. It's increased our donor pool, uh, you know, in a significant manner, and uh, it's helping patients who previously wouldn't have been able to get that heart. Well, listen, I, I just want people to know. Carmel and I have been working together, as we said, for a long time, and he's just a fantastic person. He responds. I can call him on the phone. Even mm-hmm. if he's busy, he calls me back. And we're blessed to have Duke and people like Carmelo Milano, Dr. Milano, in uh, this area. And, you know, Duke's always in the top five. And Dr. Milano is one of the reasons why. We'd love to have you on again. It's great to hear from you and keep up the good work and saving more lives. Thank you, doctor. Yeah, thank you, Frank. Thanks for having me. And uh, I enjoy your show and take care, okay? Okay. All right, take care. All right, next up on the show, we actually have Rose Hoban from the North Carolina Health News. We're going to talk about lo- local COVID cases and what's going on there and where, where we're heading with this. Also, they found a way to reverse diabetes, but I'm not sure that all of us are going to sign up for it. Absolutely. Dietary reversal of diabetes. Really? Absolutely. All right. Call us up, 919-860-9783. This is Heart Health Radio. 
Get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. And we're going to do the Hall of Shame quickly, and then we'll get Rose on um, from North Carolina Health News. On the Hall of Shame, CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, what did they do? Get political again. Yeah? Okay, yeah, so they put out a survey online, but it wasn't a survey where you had to be randomized to whether you answered it or whether you didn't. It was just come on, yeah. get on the survey. And so they said, do you drink bleach for COVID-19? Uh, do you gargle with bleach? Oh, 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 I see where this yeah. is going. In other words, you could just get on there and come out of the woodwork. You could be an anti-Trump person or you could be <laughs> a pro-Trump person. So guess what they said? What? 35% of Americans drink bleach. <laughs> And then they lied and said that there was an uptick in calls about <laughs> ingesting bleach, which has been shown to be false. So who, I think the CDC is mad because <laughs> Trump administration's mad at the CDC. So the point I'm trying to make is if you see this article, it is complete hogwash yeah. because of okay. the methodology. They said they took a survey. Yeah. They put out something on the, on, on the Internet and could not screen what type of person was actually completing the survey. Right. right. It's just ridiculous. It's just somebody just wanting to cause trouble right. saying, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, It's all bleach. Trump's fault. They're drinking bleach. If you are taking your medical advice from a New York State real estate mogul, yes. then you're you, – you just – you deserve to drink bleach. Absolutely. I mean, just, it's just a dumb thing to do. Yeah. All right. The other thing is a hydroxychloroquine study. I practice yeah. that Big word all one, week. The WHO quoted it. They even stopped major trials because of it. Yeah. But it was a study in the Journal of Boil Therapy. No, excuse me. <laughs> the Lancet. The Lancet, which, by the way, was named after the treatment for saddle sores. Right. Right. The Lancet. Lancet. Dude, what do you do? You lance it. But anyway, it is surprisingly uh, and supposedly um, one of the great journals in the world. Yeah. But anyway, so they published a journal supposedly with 10,000 patients and said that hydroxychloroquine didn't work. Well, a bunch of real scientists, a hundred of them, called up the Lancet and said, wait a minute. We want to see the data. And guess what? What? Didn't have it. They didn't have the didn't data? They didn't have the data. Oh, somehow we misplaced it or whatever. So they retracted that. But another study came out, and it was a pretty good study yeah. that, that showed taking hydroxychloroquine, quote unquote, didn't work. Now, let me try to explain how studies are. Studies are randomized. And so what they want to know is, is it random chance that you got the results you did? Yeah. And so you have to have enough people. Because if you don't have enough people in the study, there's something called the p-value. And the p-value is the chance that the study came out positive for the drug by pure randomness. Okay, so this study was done and published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Good journal, for the okay. most part. Right. Uh, they're, they're biased as well. And it turned out they had 800 people. Yeah. And they gave half hydroxychloroquine. They were positive. Right. And the question was, half hydroxychloroquine, half placebo, who would get sick? Mm -hmm. Interestingly, fewer numbers of the hydroxychloroquine group got sick. Okay? Well, that sounds like a positive response. No, I'm sorry. 
10% versus 14%. Wait a minute. They got sick? Yeah. So in other words, they were positive. Yeah. They put them on hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Who got sick and who didn't? In right. other words, there are all sorts sure. of asymptomatic people. Sure. So hydroxychloroquine group, 10% got sick mm-hmm. who took the hydroxychloroquine. 14% who didn't got really sick. Okay. So that sounds like it worked, right? Yeah, sounds That's better. That's the same numbers as remdesivir. The problem with this study was when they cranked through all the statistics, the p-value was 0.6. Yeah. Being positive as a non-random study is 0.5. Yes. That means a 1 in 20 chance, the whole numbers came out by random chance. Yeah. Or a 1.2 in 20 chance. Yes. So when it doesn't mean 0.5 on this statistical p-value, they say it wasn't effective. The truth in the results is that there was a trend toward effectiveness, but our statistical analysis said it's possible that it was a random chance in showing up that way. All they needed was another 400 patients in the trial before they stopped it and gave the results. See, this is the thing. So it looked like in this study it was 10% got sick, which is 1 out of 10, versus 14% got sick. So that'd be 10% with hydroxychloroquine, 14% without it. That looks pretty good. It's almost as good as remdesivir, or about as good, but they didn't have enough patience for them to have the confidence in the study that it was real and not a random, you know, uh, just out of the blue. Do you think it's a good idea the president took hydrochloroquine as a preventative? No. It's not because designed the way for hydroxychloroquine that, is it? works is it reduces inflammation. Now, in this study, maybe taking it reduces your chance of getting sicker, but they don't have enough patients. So the answer is not mm-hmm. that hydroxychloroquine didn't work, is that we didn't have enough patients in the study to prove it worked. All right. This All right? study about reversing diabetes. Oh my I'm God. interested in the headline. The details are kind of tough. They actually can reverse the effects of diabetes if you go on a particular diet. Right. That's what they say. They say, we do this diet and half the 300 people, and we did regular care, you know, with telling them about what to eat and using medicines. And the people who were in this diet, they lost 26% of their weight versus 8% in the usual group, and they had a much better outcome. On their sugars yeah. than the people who did well, sign me regular up. stuff. You know what the diet was? No. 800 calorie protein drinks <laughs> three times a day. 800 calorie. Now, um, I would uh, do that if they paid me, and they did pay these people to do that. Sure. Okay. So I don't know who could survive on 800 calorie. If you wonder, the average human being eats anywhere, depending on your size, Mm. from 1,800 to 2,500 calories a day. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about almost a third of the food you normally eat in terms of caloric intake. Now, what this diet really is, is the ketogenic diet. And what this diet is, is getting rid of simple carbs. Okay? So this diet was even more strenuous than the ketogenic diet because there's absolutely no vegetables. They caught you eating a carrot. You got wrapped... (laughs) With a ruler across the knuckles. They sat you there and they gave you this drink three times a day. So what's the answer? Yes, the no-no diet does work. And what's the no? We talk about this all the time. Please do. No white flour. 
Right. No sugar. Uh huh. No inside of a white potato, the good stuff, and no white rice. Those compounds are broken down into simple sugar, a pure sugar molecule, by digestion in your system. So you can do it one of two ways. You can eat meat and salads and, you know, greens and meat are what you should eat. Right. Or you can drink a protein shake. Protein shake. Three times a day and feel like, you know what? I mean, you could theoretically cut your calorie intake on any diet down to 800 calories and you'll cure everything you'll be you'll be much healthier theoretically uh, until until you, until you get so skinny that you're walking down the street and okay pants fall down oh, i saw somebody and then they arrest you there are some wonderful people young people who live in the five points area of raleigh who are jogging and i drive through that area and there are just you know young i just encouraged by the fact that yeah. they're jogging in that area i saw a woman the other day i hope she's not listening Honestly, she looked like an extra from a movie on starvation. Yeah. She was skin and bones. It's terrible. And I'll and that's not she, healthy. I'll bet you she had anorexia nervosa. Oh, I don't I don't know. Somebody I should, should have stopped her and she said, had, you eat, lady. She had skinniness yeah. is what she had. If she showed up, let's put it this way. If she showed up to my family reunion, we would all assume that she was an in-law and not a... Not a direct, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, she married into the family. There's no doubt about that. All right. We are running out of a key drug. We are literally running out of Xanax. Yeah. We'll talk about that and other things coming up and some shout-outs as well. We'll talk with Rose Hoban from North Carolina Health News coming up next on Heart Health Radio on the Heart Health Radio Network. Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. My name is Dave Alexander. This is Dr. Franklin Weefold. We are talking about a lot of health stuff today. If you want to call up with a question, 919-860-9783. Rose Hoban joins us from North Carolina Health News. Hi, Rose. Hey, Dave. Hi, Doc. Hey, hey. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm great. On North Carolina Health News right now, and it's .org, NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. Contact tracers help identify a growing Macon County COVID-19 cluster. And I hadn't thought of this. This is amazing and terrible. With more farmers and food handlers yeah. testing positive, consumers wonder if, say, if food in the market is safe to eat. Wash everything. I guess. And, and wash your hands and cook everything. I, you know, we, we talked to um, some food safety experts from NC State, and it's basically it's the same kind of advice that they would give you for everything else, which is cook your meat to the proper temperature, wash your hands, you know, rinse off your vegetables that you get from the market. Not with uh, bleach, though, right? This is ridiculous. You don't need to put bleach on your bleach. vegetables. No, you don't need to put bleach on. That's why. Yeah. So that's why we put that box at the bottom of that story. Like, you really don't need to use bleach. Yeah. Uh, wow. And there are some food handlers who are using UV light to maybe, you know, uh, kill some of the pathogens that could be on um, on food. They've been doing that for a long time, way before COVID. Hey, listen, um, I'm really disturbed by looking at the graphs of the North Carolina cases and deaths especially, and also hospitalizations. I mean, we had a nice downward trend 
in the deaths, mm-hmm. and then in the last couple of weeks, or maybe the last two weeks, it's gone up. Do you, mm-hmm. do you, have you have you looked into where they're happening? Is it nursing homes? Is it Mecklenburg County? Is it statewide? Actually, it's rural counties. If you go and you look on the the NC DHHS COVID dashboard, there's a way that you can look at ca- uh, cases by county. Yeah, and um, you can not just looking at the raw numbers, right? Because raw numbers are always deceiving. Because yeah, there's more people in Mecklenburg County, so there's going to be more people. But if you look at the cases per 10,000 residents, yeah. it's all these rural counties light up. It's Robeson County, Columbus County. There's a big cluster up in Wilkes County where there was a poultry processing plant. Okay, that makes uh, sense. You know, Duplin, Duplin County has the highest rate in the state. It's 166 cases per 10,000 residents. And, and that's and where that's, there's a big meat packing plant? Is that what you said? Correct. And the next closest county is Chatham County, where there's a chicken processing plant, and that has 98 cases per 10,000 residents. All right. Well, listen, keep up the good work and what you do. I look at your site every day. Um, Oh, well. Well, thank you. And I think you're doing great work and educating the public, and um, we'll have you on all the time. Thank you, Rose. Well, thanks so much. Uh, We'll see you folks next week. Yes. All right. Thank you. Good to hear from you. Tim in Raleigh, thank you very much for calling. You're on Heart Health Radio with Dr. Franklin Weefault. Yes, uh, Dr. Weefault, I have a question. Sure. My wife, her report this past week, and she wasn't sure the source of it or anything. So it was a, some report, some statement that someone had made that it was probably not needed or necessary. Matter of fact, probably not good for you to take a daily baby aspirin, that it would make you a free bleeder easier as you grew right. older. And I was just calling to see if you had heard anything about sure. it. Sure. I've been looking at this very carefully because, obviously, so many of my patients are on aspirin. And if you look at this study, what they're saying is if you take a daily aspirin every day and you don't have heart disease, you are less likely to have a heart attack. You are. Okay. But you're more likely to have a bleed, like from an ulcer, and really, really badly. Um, I'm not saying this right. My brain's not right. But you can have a bleed into your brain. So what we do as doctors is, is do what's called a risk analysis. And what that risk analysis is, is we'll save you from having a heart attack, but are you going to die of a bleed in your brain? Right. Now, the one thing I didn't see in that study... Besides the fact, yes, it does lower your risk of a heart attack, but it also increases your risk for bleeding, is what the group breakdown was. I mean, obviously, I think elderly, elderly people are going to be at much higher risk of GI bleeding or gastrointestinal bleeding and bleeding in the brain. I'd like to know if the 50 and 60-year-old person, 40-year-old person, Mm -hmm. who hasn't a risk for that bleeding and is taking aspirin has a lower risk of heart attack. So what I tell a lot of people, I give them the choice. And they're 50 years old and they got a family history of heart disease. Mm -hmm. They have some cholesterol buildup in their arteries to the brain. I can test that with an ultrasound. And I say, look, if I gave you this aspirin, it is definitely going to reduce your risk of heart attack. Right. But it's going to increase your risk of bleeding from an ulcer in your stomach. 
if you don't even have one now. And if you fall down and smack your head on the concrete, you're going to have a greater risk of a bleed into your brain. What do you want to do? Because that's the truth in this study. Mm -hmm. The truth is not you should never take an aspirin to prevent a heart attack. You should ask your doctor whether you should or not. And so that's, you know, the normal press, um, I'm talking about CBS and NBC, they don't have time to explain this. They just say the study showed you shouldn't take an aspirin next. And so I do want to tell my patients, if you're at high risk, if you've got a mom and a dad who've had a heart attack and a brother who's had a heart attack and you haven't yet, talk to your doctor. Because the big question is, yes, it will lower your risk of a heart attack, but also, on the bad side, you'll have a higher risk of bleeding from an ulcer or a polyp in your colon, mm-hmm. and you'll have a higher risk for getting a bleed in your brain. And I want to tell you back what you told me, which is the baby aspirin is what, if you're, you and your doctor decide that's what you're going to take, don't buy a regular bottle of normal aspirin right. and think, well, this is better. 325 versus 81. So the normal bare aspirin is 325 milligrams. The baby aspirin is 81, but you also want to get it coated. It's called enteric coated. Yeah. And why is that? It doesn't dissolve in the stomach. It dissolves in the small intestine and has a much less likely chance of causing bleeding in your stomach. When I had headaches, I used to take aspirin. I did, It was just my go-to yeah. drug. I wasn't a Tylenol guy. Well, and I would take like three of them. The 325s. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know Probably a bad idea. Bad idea for me. Yeah. Because, you know, I've got a, I've got, I had a blockage in my, in my front artery. It's almost gone now because mm-hmm. my cholesterol is so low. But um, I'm supposed to take a baby aspirin every day. My doctor's recommended it and I do it. Um, but I take a BC powder every now and then. And that just wipes out the effect. Oh, yeah. Because it's 800 milligrams of aspirin. Eight. Wow. But I'll tell you something. You got a headache? Yeah. Now, don't do this at home. No, no, no. Do not take a BC powder unless your doctor approves. Right. But anyway, you know what else aspirin does? No. Reduces your risk of colon cancer. I did not know that. Yeah. And so, you know, you've got to weigh all these things in and don't believe that because CBS said aspirin doesn't work because they don't tell you why. It definitely lowers your risk of a heart attack. Tim, have we significantly muddied the waters for you? I'm going to take three aspirin every day whether I need them. Oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> and you're going to tell somebody when you're in the emergency room bleeding out your gut That's right. that Dr. Weefald told you to do it, right? That's the way it happens. <laughs> and Dr. Weefald, where is your practice at? It's in Smithfield, North Carolina. Let me give you some background about me. Um, after I finished Duke and Johns Hopkins, I went to a practice with a friend of mine outside of Chicago. And then I got recruited to come to North Carolina. And you know where they wanted to put me? Where? Cary. Because obviously, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I would want to practice with the Caryites. Now, if you're from Cary, I love you. Okay. But you know, the whole idea that because of my you know, background. You got a high-end degree. They wanted to put you in a high-end Right. Well, area. when I was at Duke, back then they let you moonlight. Yeah. Because I, mean, I had a wife and I had a house and I had two kids. So I moonlighted as an emergency room doctor. And you want to know something? Well, I learned so much medicine doing that. Yeah. And I learned how to be afraid of anything. But anyway, you know where I moonlighted was in the emergency room at Johnston Medical Center or Johnston Memorial Hospital. So I get down here for my interview, and, and they said, yeah, we gotta, we, we're got we really growing. We've even got a place at Johnston Memorial Hospital. And they were snickering. 
And I said, that's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. And you know why? They needed me there. Yeah. If you look at the incidence of heart disease, it starts at the border. 20 minutes. You cross into Johnston County, and you go from a low risk of heart disease yeah. to one of the highest in the country. And no, that's kidding. because they all came from the west of Scotland, which genetically has the highest incidence of heart disease, and they never left. And they, they families kept breeding. Well, I mean, they married other people whose families came from that right. area of the world. And, it's right. exactly right. So guess what? <laughs> Best move I ever made. But good for there's you. so much prejudice. I mean, people say, well, if you were any good, you'd be practicing and carrying. <laughs> <laughs> you, had the chance. you had the chance. Seriously. Tim, I've got to let you go. Let me just tell you, the doctor doesn't often tell even what the name of his practice is because it's not why he does the show, but is it is millennia cardiovascular. And if you just look my name up on Google, right. uh, you'll okay. see I used to have five stars. Now I'm 4.5. Well, that's all right. My ex-partner put in a bunch of ones. Tim, thank you. Tim, thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Listen. Thanks for calling and Listen in. Tell your friends. We have a great time here. All right. Thank you, Tim. Mike and Raleigh, please hold on. We're going to get with you in just a moment. Also, our shout-outs. And all the other things we said we were going to talk about, we're, uh, we're going to try to get to, including the fact we're running out of Xanax. Not literally the two of us, although that would be a problem. Let me tell you something. I've thought about it. I've thought about reaching for the X bottle. It would be a bad Saturday if we totally ran out of Xanax. Yeah. Anyway. That's coming up. 919-860-9783 is our telephone number on the Heart Health Radio Network. This is Heart Health Radio, where you can get better, stay healthy, and spot medical misinformation. Got some shout-outs today, including Charles Lee. Who is Charles Lee? Charles is a real good patient. Um, about 20 years ago, he came to me, and he was with his his mom. Yeah. And I said, hey, Charles, how you doing? He says, well, I'm having seizures. I said, what? He says, yeah, every now and then I just have seizures. And he's put on a seizure medicine. So I sort of just went through and was real careful about why. Yeah. And I said, tell me about the last seizure. He said, well, it's kind of embarrassing. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, every now and then I get constipated. So I drink a bunch of magnesium citrate. Yeah. I'm telling you, if you've ever had that, yeah. after you drink it, you better sit down. Okay. And so he sat down and had an amazingly explosive number two. Got up, went down on the ground, had a seizure. So I said, wait a minute. Is this happening? All-? He says, yes, Dr. Weefald. This is what happens. I have seizures after I do this. How often do you do this? About once a month. How often do you have seizures? About once a month. Has a seizure medicine helped you? No. I went over and rubbed the right side of his neck. I shouldn't have done it just out of the blue. I should have had him hooked up and everything. He fell off the chair and had a seizure. Now, what is that? It's called carotid sinus hypersensitivity or vasovagal syncope. When you have a bowel movement, it causes a negative um, neurologic response. When you push on someone's neck, yes. if they have this, and so his heart stopped. So when I finally hooked him up to, later on, I hooked him up to an EKG, pushed on his neck, his heart stopped for 12 seconds. And when really that happens. happens, 
there's no blood flowing to the brain. And what happens to some people when there's no blood flowing to the brain? They have a seizure. Put a pacemaker in them, hadn't had a seizure yet. But you know what his family doctor said? Hmm. Keep him on the seizure medicine. It's just ridiculous. All right. Mike and Raleigh, thank you very much for calling in. Hi, thank you. Uh, How are you? I was diagnosed with uh, AFib in uh, January. Yeah. And uh, as of today, uh, we decided to use Tickison. Yeah. So I had the Tickison load a week ago. In the hospital, uh, right? They had to put you in for that. Uh, yeah, yeah, unfortunately. you got to stay there for three dang days. Yeah, I'll explain that. Uh, yeah. It, it, anyway, um, they did have to do uh, cardiovert Great. Uh, because the medicine did not get me in rhythm. But right. now I'm in rhythm. Great. And I just wonder what your experience is with Tickison. Yeah. Um, as I move forward here. Yeah, I, this is a great question because AFib is becoming a really big thing, and much more so than when I was young, and I'm not sure why. But AFib, atrial fibrillation, is when the top chamber of the heart, which which has the electrical signals originate from, goes haywire. And so it's all flabby, and it's flopping around. And if you look at the EKG, mm-hmm. it's real irregular. It's not that boom. Boom. It's like ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. Yeah. And so the bad thing about that, number one, is you can feel it in most cases, and you just feel jittery, and your heart's going everywhere. The second thing is, in those nooks and crannies of the upper part of the heart, when it's not flowing in a smooth fashion, little clots can form and break off and go to your brain or go to your leg and cause a stroke or cause you to lose your leg. So... It's always better to be back in regular rhythm. Now, Tikasin is a great medicine. It's what we call a potassium channel agent. So it works on this particular part of the heart muscle and the electrical fibers to prevent excess potassium and all these other minerals from messing up your electricity. Now, he had to be in the hospital for three days to get it because I think it's about one in a thousand times. It actually makes your electricity worse. Mm -hmm. We don't predict we can't predict genetically who's it's going to happen to. A lot of times, when that Tikasin gets in your body, it converts you back to normal rhythm. So the top part beats, it spreads electricity to the middle and then to the bottom part, and then it beats. That's why you got the lub-dub, lub-dub. Right. With AFib, there's no lub. There's just dub-dub-dub-dub-dub-dub-dub-dub-dub-dub-dub. And it restores your rhythm. Now, he had a cardioversion. What's that? Well, they, it's, it's, I'll never forget. Somebody told me when I was a resident, let's hook him up to jumper cables, okay? <laughs> and what that is, is they put you to sleep. Yeah. Know, the anesthesiologist does. You're in this, this twilight zone and then a deep sleep. And they put paddles in what they are now as patches. And they put them on one in the front, one on the uh, left side. Yeah. And they deliver a current. I mean, they deliver a shock of 240 joules. That's a lot. And that chest rises, and it's very dramatic. Yeah. But with that, it's like a reset button. It's right. like, let's wipe out the electricity and let the normal one come back. And it works well. We used to just cardiovert them without any medicine, and about 40% of the time, they'd stay. But it sounds like you got excellent care. And you must be on a blood thinner. Is it Eliquis or Zarelto? Uh, Yeah, and a lot of cardiologists use that now because it seems to have slightly fewer side effects of bleeding, and it also seems to reduce the stroke risk over the old one we use, which is warfarin or Mm -hmm. rat poison. So I think you're going to do well. Um, It's possible that you're going to go back into fibrillation in the future. Did they ever discuss with you doing the ablation or the electrical wipeout procedure? Now, and I'm familiar with those things. So yeah, you sound young. How old are you? 
Um, I'm uh, 67. You're young. Absolutely, you're young. Young, old now is 90, okay? So just remember that you got 23 more years. I would recommend one thing. Yeah. um, um, When they decided that they were going to do the cardiovert, they brought me um, permission slip for the cardiovert and for the esophageal transesophageal echo. Yeah. Yeah, right. And I and that sent my blood pressure up 40 points. Right, cuz it talks about rupturing your esophagus and Well, yeah, but but nobody had discussed it with me. Yeah. And that was my bad. My doctor never brought it up. Yeah, let me tell you why you had to have that. Okay. Well, I so, didn't. I refused it. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you why you should have had it, okay? And it's okay you did You mean the paperwork or the procedure? No, the procedure. So, so remember I talked before about the clots and the nooks and crannies and stuff like that? Yeah. So you can't tell those from a regular ultrasound because there's ribs that's outside the body. They put this thing on your chest with jelly on it, and it shouts into your body, and the rebound of the shout, you can create a picture of the heart. Yeah. But you can't see the clot. So when you put it down your esophagus... Then there's nothing but tissue. There's no bone. There's no nothing. You can see if there's a clot or not. And so you were probably, were you on the uh, Eliquis like a long time before Since you had January. the cardioversion? Since January. Yeah. So you you didn't need it, okay, for the most part. There's a rare risk that that if you're on it for more than six weeks, there's still going to be a clot. So that's why they still did it. But... There is a small chance a clot could have still been in there, and what happens when you cardiovert? It it can fly off. So it sounds like you had great care, but I I agree with you. Um, It was a mistake, and I'm not going to, you know, be really mean Uh, about it, but it was was a mistake. yeah, not to tell you. It. I'd never take it out on the staff. Yeah. But uh, but I, I don't like surprises, in particular medical surprises. Yeah. I'm fine with most everything, but... Yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna talk about it before uh, you put a piece of paper in right. for me to sign. Right. If yeah. I had explained, was, if they had explained it the way I did, would it have been better? Um, yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I didn't explain my, it well. Well, though. the reality is, my doctor doesn't do those. I yeah. learned afterward that 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 was a mistake when the order when the orders were printed or whatever that ha- is that happens. It automatically does the the both. The, both of them. Yeah, so he must have felt comfortable. You've been on it long enough that the chance of a clot was very small. Right, and yeah. and he had twenty four hours yeah. to uh, uh, to talk to me about it. He or his MP, and neither one of them said anything before or yeah. leading up to it. So there you have it. Yep. Well, you okay. know, the bottom line also is um, doctors need to sit down and talk to their patients. Yeah. Amazing. Well. Thanks to Rose Hoban. First of all, thanks to Mike in Raleigh for calling yeah, in. Thanks for calling. Great question. Thank you. And uh, thanks to Rose Hoban of North Carolina Health News and Dr. Carmelo Milano, a Duke heart surgeon, for being on the first part of the program. If you missed the first part of the program, it's all been recorded. You can listen to it on Apple Podcasts or at WPTF.com. We're all out of time. And Rudy in Wake Forest is on the line. But, Rudy? Rudy, call back next week, brother. Please. Please. Uh, you're listening to Heart Health Radio, Dr. Franklin Weefald on the radio every week to help you get through your own health issues and to talk to you and give you advice. Tune in next week on Heart Health Radio. Heart Health Radio is for information purposes only. Before taking any action, consult your doctor.